This is ContraZoom, where we go back and forth about film. I'm your host, Dakota Arsenault. On today's show, we are continuing our look into the Best Picture candidates for this year's Oscars. I've been doing this since the first season of ContraZoom way back in 2016. Each episode, we'll be looking at two to three of the nominees and the chances they have to win each of their nominations. It's pretty simple. We will label every nomination for a movie as a frontrunner, dark horse, long shot, or just happy to be there. On last week's episode, we had Paulo Bautista, host of the Oscars Death Race podcast, come on to discuss Sound of Metal, Nomadland, and Minari. Joining me on the second episode to discuss Mank and Judas and the Black Messiah is Jeff and Pierre, the hosts of Classic Movies Live, a podcast that tries to anticipate the films that will become classics and sharing some of their own favorites too. Hey guys, how are you doing today? Thank you for the intro. That's a better (laughs) intro than I've ever done on our podcast. So you want to just like become our permanent third co-host? (laughs) <laughs> that's uh that's a lot of work to do uh i might have to get back to you on that uh pierre how are you doing tonight i'm great i'm ready to talk about movies and i i feel like royalty right now thanks for that intro so thank you very much wow okay well uh clearly typing my notes in advance is helpful then uh <laughs> You guys are easy to impress. I, I guess that won't be so much about the the first movie that we're going to end up talking about, but uh, at least something is a little bit easy here. True. Well, our our uh, our show is a little more improvisational, so I'm I'm taking notes right now that I that I should be taking <laughs> notes. So <laughs> these are this is very educational for me. Well, that's good to know. Um, so you guys are doing, or at least I know you are, Jeff, but uh, I'm, I'm sort of curious how your own sort of personal Oscar death race is going, uh, not including shorts. I've seen 30 of the 41 nominated films. I think I'm at 19 or 20 right now. I went through it. I'm struggling. I want to, I'm going to try to watch them all before Oscars, the Oscars start, but like probably after exams. And so I, I got like a week. Um, yeah. Good. And what about you, uh, Jeff? I uh, I started pretty early on this, but uh, so so I had a much longer list I was working through. Um, but now with the nominations out, I am at forty out of forty one. So I'm just missing Damn. one in international features, and then I'm good. Wow, wow, that's pretty crazy. Pierre, have you at least seen all the Best Picture nominees, or are you still trying to work through? Uh, I have. I, I just finished Sound of Metal, which was the last one I think, like last weekend. So yeah. I'm in there. I feel like that's good. That's good. I feel like with a lot of people, like, you know, there, there's, there's crazy people like, like Jeff and myself who <laughs> every year try to watch all of them. And then for some people, they just get so overwhelmed by it. I feel like if you at least watch the best picture nominees, the eight to 10 ones, you basically have a pretty good vibe of like everything that's going on with the Oscars. You've at least seen, you know, most of the nominations in the big categories. So you feel pretty, you know, well-informed. Do you feel that way so far? Um, yeah, I'd say so. I surprisingly, like, well, usually it, it works for the main categories. Surprisingly, like best director this year actually has like two kind of oddball movies to me. Um, like that aren't in best picture. And I was like, and they aren't really nominated for much else. I believe I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Um, well, it's just, it's, yeah, it's the one, another round with Thomas Vinterberg. Yeah. So, uh, but other than that, yeah, I, I feel pretty, I feel pretty set. And like, I feel like a lot of the favorites for each of these categories are from the best picture nominees anyways. Yeah, it usually works out that way. I found myself actually enjoying the Oscar ceremony a lot more once I started at least watching all the best pictures because like I would watch it before and I'd get like irrationally angry like who's ever heard of that movie <laughs> sort of thing and not realize that like just because it wasn't the highest grossing film of the year doesn't mean it doesn't have merits. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's a good point. Now, um, I, I guess uh, before we start, I, I do want to know, since we're talking about the Oscars, if either of you have like a few favorite Best Picture winners of all time, either like your number one one or a couple that like you, you're just really fond of? Uh, I, I don't think so. I, I Parasite, personally, yeah, for me is like one of the best films of all time, in my opinion. So last year was a big one. Other ones I can't really think of off the top of my head. I, I, still, remem- I still remember being angry the social network lost in 2010 to the king's speech that that one always stings for me um but yeah there's not not many off the top of my head i think for me going back i don't uh i'm not really sure beyond parasite i was really pulling for parasite and i remember like we we were having a uh we were actually doing an event for um we we put on an event for the oscars last year and it was in a, it was in our student pub. And when Parasite won, I was just like running around the room. Like I was very happy that that won. Uh, beyond that, I guess I could go through maybe a list of my all-time favorite movies and see if any of them won Best Picture. But that's really the only time I can remember being really, really happy that some movie won Best Picture. <laughs> well that's totally fair that's uh i know that's a, a pretty popular one i have some hot takes about that one but i'm not rehashing <laughs> that anyways um i say we we just kind of we get into this uh we're gonna start out with uh we're, we're talking about two movies today we're talking about mank and we're talking about judas and the black messiah uh so we're gonna start off with mank and i'm gonna read off its nominations they are best picture best actor for gary oldman best supporting actress for amanda seyfried Best Director for David Fincher, Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, Best Original Score, Best Makeup and Hairstyling, Best Costume Design, and Best Sound. Mank actually leads the pack with the most nominations of all films with 10. The next closest is uh, six movies with six, if I'm remembering this correctly. Mank, it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talked. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. Hello, everyone. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankowitz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankowitz, but we're to call him Mank. Mankowitz. Okay, so the first category, we're going to start with big and work our way down. And so we're going to start with uh, best picture. I'm going to read out the nominees. Uh for for the categories and but i'm not gonna repeat myself later on in case there's a, a double nominee in that one so uh first up is best picture and the other nominees are the father uh jewish and the black messiah minari nomadland promising young woman sound of metal and the trial of the chicago seven and like i said off the top we're kind of designating these movies into four categories front runner dark horse long shot and just happy to be there now, you guys had an excellent episode about Mank, and you v- were very vocal with your displeasure about this movie. So I'm definitely curious to hear, what are the odds that you think Mank has on winning Best Picture? Uh, Jeff, we'll start with you. I'm really glad you're letting me start, because I did sort of prepare something just in case I got to start this one. Uh, I wanted to say very briefly my thoughts about Mank. You know, art is something that evokes strong emotions in uh, people that uh, view it and uh, take part in it and uh for me mank definitely did that i cannot think of a movie i hate more this year after having watched it <laughs> second a second time with a fresh mind the first time i watched it i was sort of ambivalent towards it i just kind of didn't like it uh now 
I just rewatched it and I think that it's honestly pretty embarrassing and aggressively bad or more like, I don't know about aggressively bad. It's, it's a, (laughs) it's a competent movie, but it's like, I uh, sometimes like I'll watch a movie and I'm like, why was this made? And Mank is like the worst case of that. I think that it, does its very best to try and ruin my personal enjoyment of Citizen Kane. And uh, I don't like that at all. So clearly it's not my favorite for best picture. If I had to like divorce my thoughts from it, I do still think it's a long shot. Mank is, um, Mank is the kind of movie that I really do think the Academy will mostly like and would have liked a lot more a, a while back. I listened to your nominations episode and uh, the guest that you had on there described Trial of the Chicago 7 kind of similarly. I think Mank is sort of in that same in that same category where it would have done a lot better at the Academy Awards a few years ago. Um, it's not quite not quite the way Trial of the Chicago 7 would have. Uh, like, I don't think Trial of the Chicago 7 has any chance this year, where I still think Mank kind of does, because Hollywood likes to pat itself on the back. That's honestly more of a trope than an open secret. Um, but I think this is the kind of movie that gets a lot of nominations, uh, has its supporters, and ultimately walks away with pretty close to nothing. And I don't think Best Picture is something it's going to take. But it could take it. So I put it as a long shot. It's interesting. I, I think you have some some really great points there. And I feel like we've seen in recent years these movies that get a ton of nominations and end up not winning a lot. If we look at the movies that actually end up winning winning Best Picture, they they're not the you know the big nomination getters. They're, you know, we look at Parasite, I think it had six total nominations and it walked away with four awards, and that was the big winner last year, if if mm-hmm. my memory serves me right. And it seems like more and more about every other year there's this movie that comes out like nine, ten, eleven nominations and walks away with maybe one, maybe two awards at all, and definitely not best picture. Like I feel like off the top of my head, something like Return of the King was the last like truly big dominant winner where like it was sweeping everything, which is so shocking because you look at the way the Oscars work and it's basically to get a nomination, each of the individual branches nominate you. So the actors vote on the actors and the editors vote for the editors and cinematographers vote for cinematographers and all that sort of stuff. But everyone votes on Best Picture. And so suddenly you're looking at Mank and you're like, hey, look, they've got nine other nominations. That must mean all the other branches are really loving it. But yeah, where are they not coalescing behind it and being like, Manks are number one? Like how it just baffles me that it's it's seeming to be like this. Like, why are we not seeing Nomadland or Minari or whatever is you, you think is the most you know critically acclaimed, most beloved movie getting ten nominations, sort of thing? So yeah, I, I do sort of agree with you with with a lot of what you were saying there. What about you, Pierre? How uh, what, what do you think your your odds are there for this movie? I actually see this as the long shot. Um, I think, despite me not liking this movie, I definitely see uh because it's it's just it's such a it's such an oscar movie in so many ways it's black and white you got david fincher it's about hollywood and it's about citizen kane which is you know commonly seen as one of the greatest movies of all time got gary oldman in it like it's 
not a good movie, but I mean, like the the list of nominations, like it, it's obvious that the Academy has some enjoyment for it. Um, and the, so for that, because of those reasons, it definitely goes above like a lot of these other um, nominations uh, because it's just a lot. It's just very relevant to Hollywood. I think the only ones that um, are above it would be like the father and Judas and the black Messiah, just because um, they deal with very, um, I guess not maybe politically relevant topics, I guess, which the Oscars also like a lot. Um, and I think they were just better than movies as well. So I think that's where Mank is might falter, but if neither of those win, I definitely see it's, it's, it's up there. And honestly it could win very well because of those. reasons. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I also have it as a as a long shot for for those similar reasons as well. Just because you know I'm looking at the other movies and I would say Nomadland is is probably the real front runner, and then Minari is probably maybe right up there too as close behind it. I I'm a little bit higher on the Trial of Chicago Seven. I think maybe even taking my personal opinion aside, I think it still has a better shot than something like, like Mank and even promising young woman, which as divisive as it is, I think could have the, it's people that really, really love it. Whereas, uh, you know, on last week's episode, Paulo was saying Minari, he thinks no one really hates that movie. And so it might not be number one on everyone's list, but it's not going to be very far down. Mank. I wonder if it's going to be far down because while people may not hate it, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are indifferent for it. So it's not going to be the eighth place movie, but it might end up being, you know, five or six just because everyone's like, yeah, I liked it, but I like these ones a little bit more. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that for, I don't know. Is, is best picture the only one with a preferential ballot? Because I kind of think that's how Manx snuck on to most of these is that it was there and people appreciated it, but like it's on best actor. I, I feel like Gary Oldman was up there for best actor, but not as up there as someone like Chadwick Boseman. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but still. Yeah. It, uh, best picture is the only one with preferential voting. All the other ones are just straight. Whoever has the most votes wins you know, or even gets the nomination sort of thing. Right. Okay. So yeah, that is very interesting. But uh, now that you mentioned it, let, let us move over to Best Actor for Gary Oldman. And, uh, and I guess this time we'll start with you, Pierre, of, of what you think his odds are of winning. I, I don't see it happening. I, I would say it's probably the just happen. Maybe, actually, maybe long shot. I would say it could be long shot just because um, it was it was a really solid performance and it's Gary Oldman. I don't know. Like I, I, I feel like that, that name brings a lot of weight to the Academy. Um, but like, it's just kind of rough because I don't think anything in particular really stuck out about the performance. And uh, I mean, honestly, like the top, like Riz Ahmed, Chadwick Boseman, Anthony Hopkins all delivered, I think, amazing performances that were just, just better. Um, and especially with Chadwick Boseman going for the posthumous award uh, and Anthony Hopkins, who um, I believe he's the oldest nominee ever. Um, I think those are like some kind of, I guess, token, like the Academy likes attention, right? And that makes, that makes for good news. So I feel like those two are like pretty high up there. Um, and Gary Oldman's performance was good, but it's just not good enough to surmount those odds. That's fair. Uh, what about you, Jeff? I, I basically agree with that. I think, you know, Gary Oldman is fine in this role. It's a good Gary Oldman performance. I honestly can't think of the last bad Gary Oldman performance I've seen. Um, but like, and in any other year, maybe he would be a lot further up the list, I guess. But like, 
in this year, you know, I, I would say him and Steven Yoon are both, both give really great performances, but they're up against ultra mega powerhouses, Riz Ahmed, Anthony Hopkins, and Chadwick Boseman, who I think is probably the safest bet in all of these to win his category. So as weird as it is to say, I think Gary Oldman, who did a great job and like ought to be nominated basically every year, is just happy to be here. Yeah, and I think for me, I, I'm in the just happy to be there too camp. Uh, and I think one thing that, that really solidifies that point for me is the fact that he just won so recently for Darkest Hour, another movie that like I didn't really care for at all. And his performance was okay, but comparing it to like the rest of Gary Oldman's filmography, where he's got so many powerhouse performances, that really was his sort of like, oh, we messed up so many years, sorry, here's your Oscar. And if like, say that movie was like a even more of a flop than it was in my opinion, because I didn't like it at all, but whatever. Um, if he didn't win for that or that movie just didn't exist, we might be having that conversation this time around of like Gary Oldman's never won an Oscar. He he's probably a front runner. And, and maybe also, of course, if it wasn't Chadwick Boseman untimely passing this year, uh, that would probably even help Gary Oldman boost his chances even more but you know because he just won because Chadwick Boseman gave such an incredible performance two great performances this year and his unfortunate passing I think there's just far too many things working against him for to even be considered like it'll be like you know four or five years from now before they'll be willing to maybe give Gary Oldman another Oscar right all right, the next category is Best Supporting Actress for Amanda Seyfried. Uh, I guess I'll start this one off. I uh, I really liked her performance in this. Now, I'm sort of curious, especially to hear your thoughts on this, Jeff, since you just rewatched it, but it kind of sounded like neither of you were, you know, too over the moon about her role. I, I really did like it. I thought it brought a lot of humanity to this movie that was being severely removed by David Fincher's trying to stick so closely to his father's script. I really, every, basically every scene that she was in was the highlight for me. And I think that's sort of a, you know, a good barometer to really see where, where things are at. Uh, her, her fellow nominees uh, include Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman for The Father and uh, Yu Jung Yoon for Minari. I, I do think this is probably one of the toughest categories to predict. I, I was saying this in the last episode. I can see basically a path for almost everyone for winning this, except for maybe Olivia Coleman, just because she won so recently too, much like Gary Oldman. Uh, but yeah, I, I sort of feel like almost anyone can win. And, and because of that, I think Amanda Seyfried, they, they do like their young ingenues. Maybe that helps, even though she's not really a young ingenue. She's a woman in her thirties, but it's her first Oscar nomination. So maybe I, so I'm, I'm thinking she's maybe a dark horse, maybe a, a long shot dark horse, but a dark horse nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I would say that, uh, I just, I, I thought I agree. I think you bring up a good point in that. I think she dad did. She did have a good screen presence. Um, despite, I think her character didn't really have that big of a role to fulfill in the movie, but I like the, her char- her charismatic like youthful um i guess performance was like contrasted well with Gary Oldman's and uh uh who's the guy from Game of Thrones what's his name Charles Dance uh his performance and i thought that was really good i like that contrast i just 
it was just a solid performance though. It didn't really do too much for me. And I don't necessarily think anyone else like couldn't have done this role uh, just as well. Um, yeah. But to be fair, this isn't that honestly, like it's not that strong of a category overall for me. So I, I would put her as um, dark horse, but given, I don't know. And my ch- honestly, that could change like depending on how I'm feeling on any day, any given day. But yeah. To me, this is the most exciting category this year. Uh, I I think I, well, I see exactly what you were talking about where um, I can see a path forward for just about anyone here. Um, I think as far as they, you're right about Olivia Coleman having, she since she just won so recently, it does seem most unlikely for her, I guess. But I think I would put Amanda Seyfried at the bottom there as well, just because she just doesn't have as much going for her as the other three. And her performance was, it was good. It was a very good performance. And like, it's a good Amanda Seyfried performance. Again, I'm a fan of Amanda Seyfried. So like, you know, I guess that means something. But um, (laughs) I don't think it was anything particular particularly special or exciting personally i barely noticed her in this movie um that's a lot just because of my personal thoughts on this movie i think she was good in it though i i think to me she's she's somewhere between a long shot and a just happy to be there mostly because this is just such a weird category to predict i I'm, I have trouble placing just about anybody in this category because all of them sort of float between at least two of the uh, two of the descriptors we're using. So, yeah, it's true, and I feel like of these group of nominees, she probably has the least amount of screen time out of all of them. Like Marie Bakalova is basically the co-lead in, in, in Borat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Glenn Close, despite her not being in large chunks of it, really stands out. Uh, in what is otherwise an absolutely god-awful garbage movie. Uh, Olivia Coleman has the second most screen time after Anthony Hopkins. And Yoo Jung Yoon, she isn't in the beginning, but once she kind of shows up, she's basically in almost every scene for the rest of the movie, even if she isn't like a major driving character. So it's kind of tough to really compare character performances which are like almost co-leads versus... Amanda Seyfried, who really is like a true supported character. So that's always sort of a, a tough thing to gauge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to say quickly too, that like, like in terms of the movies as well, like for example, Glenn Close being nominated, I thought she, I personally thought she gave a great performance, but like it was in one of the like worst movies of the year. Right. And that's like, that was like what everyone thought, not just the Academy for like, cause it wasn't nominated for anything else. And you have Maria Bakalova who was like nominated for a comedy, like a pure comedy, which like, never happens in the in the academy so mm-hmm. like like while i i believe those two like are kind of headliners for me personally i think like they they might have trouble winning just due to like past or like due to the states of their movies even even you you jung um i'm not sure how much the academy pays attention to uh asian actresses honestly um, because like like last year for example i don't know how it works but like i thought there was some great uh like all the performances in Parasite um, were great. I don't. I don't think any of them were nominated. So like, no, they weren't. I think that might be a factor too in terms of like just Asians uh, getting uh, getting votes. Honestly, so unfortunately, but yeah. 
Yeah, I, I almost feel like with, with to kind of bring back the parasite point is I almost feel like because that movie was basically an entire ensemble of eight people, I wonder if there was just real trouble of them to like kind of coalesce behind any one performer. Mm-hmm. I know the biggest you know oversight was uh, Song Kang Ho, uh, I believe is his name, of people wishing he was kind of like the one nominee if there was to be any. But like other than that, like because it was really a truly ensemble, it's really hard to stick out in that sense and, and it not being in English probably, you know, turned off some voters as well, unfortunately. And so it'd be interesting to sort of see where if voters are willing to, to give an award to uh, a movie that's not in English, like Minari. For sure. Yeah. Even though I, I believe she gave like, honestly, probably the best performance here, like in raw, raw talent, in my opinion, but yeah, I don't, it's, it's a little rough. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you. Moving on to the next category, we have Best Director for David Fincher. The other nominees are Leah Isaac Chung for Minari, Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Jeff, we'll, uh, we'll start back with you. What do you think uh, Fincher's odds are here to win? Oh, boy. All right. So I guess the first thing I should say is where, I'm gonna, where, I, where I would put him. I would say long shot. David Fincher is a known name. He's... Probably the he's easily the best known name of these directors, uh, and I think um, just because of that, he's like not out of the race. Like the way Thomas Vinterberg is a very clear, just happy to be there. I like that he got there. I have no idea how. Uh, David Fincher is. He directed easily the worst movie on this. And as far as I'm concerned, he is the worst. Like of of these, he is like his movie had the worst directing in it. But like just because of name recognition and the fact that I kind of think the Academy likes him. um, I think I think he still has a shot and he's he's the long shot. Um, My personal thoughts on this directing is that I of the movies I've seen that of the David Fincher movies I've seen, which is not all of them, uh, this is easily my least favorite. And I think that it takes all of the opportunities to um, to reference cinema, uh, not cinema, Citizen Kane uh, in its directing, its cinematography, all those cool things, and basically throws them in the trash. Uh, it takes, like, it, it wants to be Citizen Kane in a lot of ways, but it never gets what's good about that movie and tries to reference it in like the worst ways and just kind of never works. Plus, as you already uh, sort of alluded to, uh, he tries to stick way too close to Jack Fincher's screenplay and it makes for some very silly choices. And I think it's pretty telling that this movie did not get a nomination for best original screenplay. The screenplay is not that good. And like, is he improving it by directing it? Maybe, but it still doesn't make for a good movie. Uh, anyway, there's my like two cents. But as far as uh, does he have a shot to win? I guess I don't think he will. Yeah, I think one thing maybe I'll, I'll kind of throw out there and, and get both of your responses on this. David Fincher as a whole, his movies haven't really been Oscar friendly. I would say Gone Girl is probably the closest thing to that when, when Rosamund Pike got a Best Actress nomination and I think it got a, a screenplay nomination if I'm remembering correctly. But other than that, like I can't think of 
Oh, I guess Social Network. Social Network, I guess, would be probably even more Oscar-friendly sort of thing. But most of his movies are, are very dark, deal with, you know, what is happening with the underbelly of society and the worst of humanity and, and a lot of that. And you could probably even say that about The Social Network, too, which is presented in, you know, in a very... Uh, pop culture way sort of thing when you're talking about Facebook. But all that said, David Fincher's filmography as a whole, I feel like is, is so revered that it's one of those things where like it took Quentin Tarantino forever. You know, he got, he got obviously uh, an Oscar nomination for, for Pulp Fiction writing that screenplay. But other than that, it took basically 15 years for the Academy to even acknowledge his existence. I basically sort of feel like we're at that point now with David Fincher where they're like, Hey, we loved you the whole time guys. Right. (laughs) We all love David Fincher here. We're cool with the kids and liking their, they're women that murder people stuff. Do you think that if there was maybe a chance of best picture and best director splitting who wins, which it does happen more frequently, I find, is there a chance of David Fincher basically being given, I wouldn't call this his lifetime achievement award because he's not that old, but basically his career achievement so far. And hey, sorry, we've ignored you for the last 25 years. Do you think there is a path forward if that's the case? Yeah. Definitely. I, the, the, you're right. The Academy does take like, I guess, legacy into consideration. Also, this is probably going to be David Fincher's most uh, Oscar relevant movie, like ever, in my opinion. Um, I don't see him making another movie that like is so Hollywood relevant. Cause like just based on the rest of his filmography, it doesn't seem like it's a particular interest to him. Um, so yeah, I, I could definitely see it. Um, also just because, uh, he, he stands a good chance in terms of he's the only truly recognizable director here as well. Um, there's no, like, there's no big, there's no heavyweights, there's no Nolan, there's no Tarantino, there's no Wes Anderson or whatever. He is, he's by far the most acclaimed director here, even though he put in probably the worst performance in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely see it. That's why, that's actually why I would put him as my dark horse um, I personally think Chloe Zhao has a better chance just due to a lot of the hype around her. Um, and I, I feel like the Academy actually does want to nominate an Asian, uh, a, uh, not Asian, uh, a woman specifically as best director, uh, because it's something that they've gotten a lot of flack for in the past. Um, but also to keep in mind, David Finch is the only, uh, like, I guess, American white male. And honestly, if the Academy is mostly composed of white dudes, I don't know if that's true or not. But if it is, then he actually stands a pretty good chance because of that as well. I would also like I would actually kind of um, bring in a little bit of what I said for Gary Oldman here. I think in any other year. Yes, this is where David Fincher gets his career achievement award, basically, because I think he's at about that point. And this is, I think Pierre just said this, uh, kind of his Oscar-friendliest movie that he's made. Um, And so that would, in any other year, make him kind of the front-runner for Best Director. But somehow, Chloe Zhao and Nomadland have emerged as the front-runner in every category they're in. So, like, all of a sudden, uh, David Fincher, noted, noted recognizable white male director... Uh, is up against relative unknown Chloe Zhao, who has somehow become a powerhouse. So, like, I think Chloe Zhao will take this, but if it does split Best Picture and Best Director, 
I would say that if Nomadland gets Best Picture, there is a pretty decent chance that David Fincher could would be the second in line for director. Mm-hmm. I, I would say I'm saying all this basically as hypotheticals because I too believe that he's basically a long shot. Uh, but I do think probably compared to maybe some of the other awards, this is probably the easiest path for that I could see of, you know, Mank maybe stealing something uh, based on sort of all this criteria of if everything sort of breaks right, where basically him being the only real recognizable name because everyone else is either a, a new filmmaker or in the case of someone like Thomas Vinterberg is almost almost completely unknown to North American audiences. I know his last film, The Hunt, which won uh, Best Foreign Language Film when it came out several years ago, that also starred Mads Mikkelsen. And for anyone who has not seen it, definitely watch The Hunt. Absolutely fantastic. Completely different tone than another round uh, as a heads up. (laughs) Um, But like, he's still very unknown uh, to, to, I'm guessing, to a large portion of uh the voting block so yeah there there could very well be a shot of if you know maybe chloe Zhao and emerald fennel end up splitting their votes and lee isaac chung tries to make a bit of a push and doesn't end up making enough of a push that you know who ends up with the most votes otherwise is david fincher but uh i i still do believe that he is a long shot i just think of all the long shots he probably stands the best chance to win which i know i'm like getting really into semantics at this point <laughs> right All right, so we'll move on to the next category, which is Best Cinematography, and the fellow nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah, News of the World, Nomadland, and Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, Jeff, I believe I started with you last time, so I'll I'll switch it over to Pierre this time. I would put this as, oh man, I'd say a long shot. I just, I think uh, the black and white, (laughs) the black and white factor might have a tool in this. Um, I just... I didn't like the cinematography, I'm going to be honest. And it's not one of the, like if something was, if it, if there was something this movie was to be recognized for, it definitely wouldn't be the cinematography. And honestly, I just think Chloe Zhao has this one in the bag. It's, or, uh, sorry, not Chloe Zhao, but um, Nomadland has it in the bag just because it's, it's the movie is cinematography. Like, so it focuses on it so much. So it's just like, uh, it's not a focus of Mank in my opinion, and therefore, like, it, it just doesn't really um, do do anything for it. But, like, it, it is, it is uh, you know, black and white, and it has some decent shots. So, like, I will give it that, and it could it could pull through just because it, it does look pretty unique compared to the other ones. But Chloe Zhao all the way, I think this is a long shot for sure. Now, Jeff, I know you've got things you have to say here, <laughs> so what is it? Um, well, I mean, obviously... Best cinematography goes to Nomadland. I don't. I I personally do not see a path forward for anyone else. I think it's just too. I think that one's just too in the bag for that movie. Uh, for Mank, I put it. I put it as my dark horse um, because. Well, I mean, I just said there's no path forward. I would say this is still probably the second. It's my third favorite of the cinematography nominees. Um, I actually really like the cinematography. It has some very neat shots. Uh, personally, I think that Eric Messerschmidt, the cinematographer, is more inspired by Citizen Kane than David Fincher is in this movie. And like, he gets to play with that a little bit, but he is hampered by the fact that David Fincher is directing a movie that I don't know what he's doing. I, I have no idea what David Fincher is doing in this movie. And I think that it's sort of like, 
impacts the cinematography or the cinematographer and he's just not allowed to do the cool things that Citizen, that Citizen Kane did, but he does have some very cool shots. And it's yeah. my personal second favorite, which is why I put it as a dark horse. But like I said, I do not see how Nomadland could possibly lose this category. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're you're pretty spot on there. I, I think I would probably have it as a long shot, but I, I definitely like your argument of calling it a dark horse as well. The Academy does like black and white cinematography. They don't always award it, but they definitely enjoy nominating black and white films. So that definitely is a bit of a plus there. And the fact that I think you're right. I think Messerschmitt's cinematography is the closest it, the movie really gets to capturing the Citizen Kane vibe and aesthetic overall. Uh, and even that, it almost seems like there's a um, there's a bit of an internal struggle going on between what Messerschmitt wants to do and what Fincher is trying to achieve. And and you almost get some some wasted opportunities, even if they are. Uh, able to recreate the spirit of Citizen Kane. I I do just want to interject and say my favorite thing about Citizen Kane is the transitions, which are not even like they, they didn't even take any of those or anything like those for Mank. I, I am definitely disappointed that they did do more. Yeah. All right. So the next category we have is best production design where the fellow nominees are The Father, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, News of the World, and Tenet. This is a bit of an interesting category. I actually quite like the production design. I love when they, you, they're creating old Hollywood sets, uh, both the outdoor and the indoor stuff that they had going on and, and recreating what Los Angeles used to look like. I know a lot of it probably is green screen uh, of making the back lot look basically recreate the faithful reproductions of that. But I still really enjoy what they were doing and, and being able to create that and recreating uh, the house that they lived in. Um, uh, I'm blanking on, on the name of the house right now, but they did a really good job with, with really filling the space with a lot of interesting things to look at uh, that did work well with the cinematography. It, it photographed really well. Obviously the motel, hotel, whatever it was that uh, Mankiewicz was hold up in didn't really have anything interesting going on for it. Uh, but overall, I think I liked the, the, the production design that said, um, I, I think it, it has a decent chance of being a front runner for this of, because we don't really have these big, really elaborate built sets this year due to the fact that basically all the big prestige movies got pushed back a year. So I'm a little interested to see sort of where, where this sort of stands does tenant maybe, have a shot to to pull it off does the father with its much more subtle use of its production design have a chance i don't know i think news of the world is basically a complete long shot and i really wasn't a fan of uh, ma rainey's black bottom at all as far as what they were doing two rooms without it really doing anything for it so uh looking at all that this might be mank's best chance to to win an award yeah i i think i well i definitely agree i have i have production design uh I have Mank as a front runner for production design. I think it's so personally, I would put it very, very close with Tenet as either my second or third favorite in this category. But um, I think this is its best shot to win. And most importantly, people have seen this movie. Academy voters have seen this movie where my favorite movie for this category, The Father, which is basically all production design or, you know, not, not really. There's a lot going on in that movie, but 
one of the biggest aspects of that movie is its production design. Uh, it, as of this recording, just released a few days ago to general audiences. And while I'm sure the Osc- the Academy will have gotten screeners, like the fact that there's kind of no buzz around it until it is either nominated for awards or releases kind of makes me think it has basically no momentum going in here. I think that one still has a shot to maybe take this, but um, I, I don't think it can beat Mank in production design personally. Interesting. And what about you, Pierre? Um, it's kind of in the middle between being a, a long shot and a dark horse for me. It's, it's, it's kind of tough. I, there's some, something's wrong. Like my rainy blocks, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom being here is kind of weird to me, and it's it's suspicious in that I, I think there might be something that I'm missing because I personally thought the production design was atrocious, um, like because it just it just felt so much like it was uh, like they were on a set, right? Um, it might have been due to the cinematography too, but I think the the Academy light might actually like that it sort of mimicked how a stage would uh, would play out, so. Like, uh, I thought, I, I actually really liked Tenet's production design. I thought it was a terrible movie, but, like, if it did anything right, it actually, like, the production design was actually really, really good. And like you said before, The Father, it's not really obvious that there was a lot of work put into it, but there was, and it's very subtle. And um, I think that's, like, interesting to look at. And while, so I did enjoy Manx's production design a lot. I love the, the, like, the kind of claustrophobic nature of that motel room, almost. And then, like, the the way they're able to transition to that, the luxurious open spaces that Manx spends time, spends time in, uh, in certain parts of the movie. I mean, even those like outdoor set, that outdoor set, uh, design was like really cool. Um, it's, it's honestly pretty, a pretty tough contest to me. Um, I don't even know which one I would say is like the front runner or the favorite here, but it's a close race. Yeah. This is one of the, the trickier ones where, you just don't really know where the below the line categories are going to go and the different branch members are, are really sort of feeling. So it can go a multitude of ways. I do like your sort of rationale for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom of how it might pull off a bit of a head scratching <laughs> win there. <laughs> All right. So the next category we're going to do is best original score. And the other nominees are Defy Bloods, Minari, News of the World, and Soul where Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who were nominated for Mank, also did the music for Soul. Um, Jeff, we'll start with you for this category. Well, I mean, Trent, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross got to beat Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for this one, and I don't know if they can do that. Um, I'm, I, I think I put Mank as a dark horse here because I think that Soul is a more... It, like it's. I think it's a better score. Mank's score is pretty good, but like it's... It's mostly, it's, it's a pretty good score, but Souls is just a lot better. And I think that, I mean, personally, given the choice between both of them, if I didn't know these scores and I, well, I, that's, that's a hard thing to say. But if I, if I liked both scores equally, I would want Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to share. So I would go to, I would take it to Soul. Uh, I don't know exactly if the voters in the Academy feel the same way. But I kind of doubt best original score between Mank and Soul matters. And to me, those are the two front runners. So I put this as a dark horse because between, you know, awarding two awards and awarding three awards, I would personally give three. 
I feel like there are people in the academy who probably feel the same way. I I couldn't say for sure. Interesting. And what about you, Pierre? Uh, I I I actually say they're front runners for once. Um, Trent Reznor. I I I think the like I thought it was an interesting score i think the problem might have been the mixing in 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 terms of why it didn't really pop out to me because there were moments i i i recognized it and i enjoyed it but it just felt so small i guess and there wasn't really um like there trent trent's and atticus's scores usually really pop out to me um whereas this one was extremely subtle uh from what i can tell so like i thought i think that's interesting but i do think they would win for this just because um, I think Soul's uh, sound soundtrack was pretty experimental, um, whereas uh, Manx was very straightforward. It, it's referring to uh, or it's paying homage to like a the golden age of Hollywood, where you had um, I don't know, just like lots of trumpets and classical instruments. Um, I, I don't necessarily the other scores in this category. I can't really say much about them just because um, they nothing about them really popped out to me. I thought they were very average scores, especially Minari. I think the score was just meant to, um, it was more, more meant to set a vibe rather than actually do anything in particular. So uh, yeah, I, I'd say it's just this one, just because it feels very um, old school, Hollywoody and classically, um, which is why I would beat soul for sure here. So yeah, front runner. Mm. Interesting. I, I feel like I lean a little bit more to Jeff's side with this. I, I also have it as a dark horse. I think it's a pretty foregone conclusion that Soul will end up winning. If not, I could see Mank going there. The Five Bloods does have a bit more uh, bombast compared to some of the other nominees. So if if the Academy wants more music, that might be an interesting one. But what you were saying, Pierre, about, about Minari being more of a, a subtler score, and even News of the World, I, I feel like, too. I don't know if uh, either of you has seen that one. I guess you've seen that one, Jeff, since you've seen almost <laughs> all the movies. Um, yeah, I, it's 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 an interesting category and the fact that there it's the same people that did two scores i think compared to other categories this maybe matters less like there's been years when like john williams or hans zimmer have two nominations and we're never like which hans zimmer score will win like it, it never really works that way it's not like so i wonder if it, it doesn't even really matter for the academy that Reznor and Ross have two nominations that they're just completely going to judge them devoid of who the people are behind the work yeah that makes sense so i don't know uh this this one could be a little bit tricky but i do think it is souls to to basically lose at this point the next category we're going to talk about is best makeup and hairstyling and we've got emma Hillbilly Elegy, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and Pinocchio as the other nominees in this. And this is basically the one category where quality of film does not matter <laughs> at all. And so anything goes with this category, uh, along with best visual effects. Um, as far as what I think, man, I, I think this is just happy to be there. It has probably some of the least noticeable makeup and hairstyling. You compare it to something like uh, Pinocchio uh, or Hillbilly Elegy where the the makeup just absolutely pops. Even Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, what they were doing with Viola Davis, really transitioning her to make her look like who she was portraying. Emma, it's all about the actual hairstyling, you know, the other half of the category we sometimes forget about. Whereas Mank, what, they gave Gary Oldman a comb over? Like, <laughs> what's the deal? What, 
congrats. He's already losing his hair. Like, I, I really don't know where this goes. Like, th- this has to be the, the fifth of five nominees. I don't know where, where the two of you kind of feel on this. Um, for this category, I would say sort of the same as what Pierre said for best production design. Uh, maybe I'm missing something. I, for me, I just wrote down and I, I wrote brief show note or brief notes on each of these categories before we started recording this. And for makeup and hairstyling, I, uh, I originally just wrote a question mark and then I expanded that to, I don't think I understand makeup and hairstyling if Manx nominated. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just happy to be there as far as I'm concerned, but clearly I don't know how it got there. So maybe, maybe there's something well, I'm missing. Maybe, maybe the other thing is because you just watch it, you could probably fill me in a little bit better because this is a period piece, you know, much like something like Emma, where they're not trying to do something flashy. It's just trying to be period of its time. Is it, do you think it's because they basically made everyone that appears in this movie look period appropriate, not necessarily doing, you know, the sort of stuff like transitioning Glenn Close to be a hill person sort of thing? Well, uh, everything does look period appropriate for sure. And I know that, um, I don't know exactly what you have to do differently, but I know that doing makeup for a black and white film is a lot different than doing makeup for a, uh, for a color movie. And I know specifically from old Kevin Smith podcasts I used to listen to, the reason he shot Clerks is because in black and white is because they basically didn't have to worry about that stuff. But Clerks is a movie that looks like they didn't worry about that stuff. And this movie <laughs> looks very... Um, it's very clean. So like maybe I don't know what this movie would look like if you just got like the, the color version of the film, if that exists and like what all of these people look like with, you know, in the actual environment. So it's possible that um, it's a mix of period appropriate and what you actually have to do to do good makeup for a black and white movie. Interesting. And what about you, you Pierre? Yeah, I, okay. I, I actually thought Mank was probably just happy to be here. But now that Jess points out the thing of like, we might be missing something, I think there could be something interesting that we're, we're missing. I, I still kind of want to put it just happy to be there. I think it might just be because it's a period piece that it's there and it reflects, it's capturing a certain period of time uh, that, that is unique to the other movies and that Hollywood enjoys. Um, but like, I mean... If anything, like Hillbilly Elegy and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, like the what the like what you said earlier, what they were able to do with clean clothes and Viola Davis Davis was honestly like astounding. I couldn't believe it, right? Um and I think like that that just puts it that just that puts them on top by far. Um I think Meg also might have been nominated because it is capturing the makeup and hairstyling of like people that existed, especially like in um Orson Welles's case, even though like they didn't really look very similar from what I remember. Um, but like, I, I think that that was, that might've been the reason. And if, if that was the reason, I think again, Hillbilly Elegy and my Rainey's Black Bottom Bottom just did it so much better. And uh, yeah, that's why I, I just don't see it happening for me. Yeah. You, you raised some really great points there, Jeff. And I think that's probably something that, at least voters are considering, but I think overall this is basically not best makeup and hairstyling, but most makeup and hairstyling. And I don't think it falls into that category much like the next one we're going to talk about, which is best costume design. And the nominees are Emma, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mulan and Pinocchio. This is, this is also a case where it's, 
uh, most costumes done, but also I feel like the Academy really loves their like super period piece, Victorian eras, Elizabethan era sort of thing. I don't think, uh, Mank has that really going for it, especially when you kind of look at some of the other ones, I would, I would put Ma Rainey's black bottom sort of in a similar boat of this movie's a period piece, but not period enough. Whereas you, you look at Emma, which is, Super period Mulan, which is a very heightened uh, period piece, and then Pinocchio, which is a fantasy period piece, all are doing like way more over the top in your face things than both what Mank and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom are doing. Uh, Jeff, considering you just put both Pierre and I in our place a little bit with the makeup and hairstyling, do you have any very uh, eloquent points for this one? I I wish I did. I would say that um, if it was just between Mank, Mulan, and Mank, Mulan, and Pinocchio, then I could see Mank taking it sort of as the Academy is saying, you know, we want a period piece rather than a fantasy movie. Uh, because all three of those are like very different types of costume design. But when it comes to Mank versus Ma Rainey's versus Emma, you have, it's it's three period pieces competing. Mank and Ma Rainey's are a similar period. And Emma is... If this, if there was a period piece costume design award, Emma would very easily take it. So it's sort of like within this category, I think Mank is sort of competing for competing for votes with Ma Rainey's and Emma. And like, I think of those three, it's kind of the weakest. And I also have it as a uh, just happy to be here for for costume design. What about you, Pierre? Um, yeah, I'd say just happy to be here too. I think I haven't seen. Nokio yet I and, and Emma but like again like you said earlier I think the Victorian setting is hugely favorable for the Oscars um and also Mulan I think you know Mulan was a pretty bad movie but like uh its costume design was pretty solid I think it captures um a very unique period that like we we don't often see costume design for in in movies uh especially to like to this level so I just, yeah, Manx, like, it, it, it just wasn't flashy enough and it didn't really do enough or add much to the movie. So I would say it's just happy to be here. Yeah, I, I originally put it as a dark horse, but the more we're talking about it, I definitely think it's maybe a long shot to just happy to be their category. And I think for your point on Mulan, I think maybe something that also has going in its favor is the scale of the amount of costumes it was making. Mm. Because we've seen it a, a few times where where there's like a giant, like I, I, like when Lord of the Rings won best costume, because it wasn't just that they were making like the really nice costume for the leads is the fact that they were like designing costumes for entire armies. And so in Mulan, you have like the Imperial army, but then you also have like the army of bandits too. So you have these two very large groups of people that you're having to costume. And while the bandits were all kind of mostly dressed similarly, you have the different ranks and stuff like that in the Imperial army to show designations of all that sort of stuff. So I think that might even play in its favor a little bit too i i do think this is emma's to lose but um but i can easily see how mulan could be right up there and maybe steal it away too so the last category we have is best sound and the other nominees are greyhound news of the world soul and sound of metal so i want to know which tom hanks movie is going to win best sound <laughs> um i actually think news of the world is like kind of dead in almost anything. Um, I liked it a lot, actually. But, like, I mean, even within this category, it's competing against Greyhound, which I have as 
a long shot to win, but is very close to being my favorite here. Except that Sound of Metal exists, but I I don't think a Tom Hanks movie takes this one, actually. No, I was mostly being facetious about that. Uh, I I almost feel like News of the World was basically like, hey, people that like Ford versus Ferrari, I got a movie for you guys. (laughs) Oh, it's a great dad movie. And like, yeah, I like my dad movies. So it worked for me. Uh, yeah, what about you, Pierre? Uh, I I I can't believe Mank is nominated for this. I think it's kind of like it. I would I I want to say it's a prank or something because the sound was really bad in in my opinion. Like they were trying to mimic the like I guess it wasn't horrible overall, but just like the those outdoor scenes where they were mimicking the the way uh, actors would ADR over their lines. I guess. Um, in, in all in all the old movies like that's what they were doing but then like you could very visibly it was very obvious that these were filmed it was like they were filmed in a or recorded in a hangar or something like they were so weird and the echoing and the reverb on that was like it was just really distracting and it was very obvious that like the lines weren't recorded outside and or maybe they were and then they just added some really uh cheap reverb effects to make it sound worse on purpose um and it's just like it's not I, I don't know what David Venture was thinking. I think I think it had pretty bad especially and then also like when I when I mentioned earlier, I think the soundtrack, if it was mixed better um overall with the with the entire like sound of the movie, I think it could have like maybe got more attention from me. Um and then also I mean like competing with soul and sound of metal, uh which in my opinion like the the sound design and mixing was like an extremely integral part of what made those movies uh, good movies is just like, it's, it's just not even close. So for me, it's just a happy to be here. Um, I can't believe it's there, but yeah. 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 I, I feel very similar. Like sound of metal. This is probably the, the closest thing to a lock of, of any of the categories we have uh, to win. And if maybe for some, you know, strange reason, all the voters for this category completely forget that this movie exists. You have soul, which like you were saying, rightfully the, the, the sound is so crucial to the story of a jazz musician that, and it works so well, especially all the, the afterlife stuff as mm-hmm. well too. But then you also have like, um, you know, every dad favorite style of movie, which is war movie, which does extremely well in these categories in Greyhound, where you basically have three, three, you know, way, higher seated films and then it's basically flip a coin to see who's going to come in fourth and who's going to come in fifth between mank and news of the world in my opinion yeah sounds about right so those were all the categories for mank now we're going to move on to judas and the black messiah which has six nominations including best picture best supporting actor for daniel kaluuya best supporting actor for lakeith stanfield best original screenplay best cinematography and best original song for fight for you by the artist her. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. I will learn all that I can. I will learn all These ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder a liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder a revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. The first nomination is for Best Picture. Now, I've already gone through all the nominees, so I'm not going to repeat myself there. Um, 
this is this is a bit of an interesting one. This movie came out so late in the game. You know, uh, Jeff, you were talking about earlier how the father came out so late uh, to a wide audience. This one actually came out later only because it premiered at Sundance back in February, whereas at least father the father had a festival run last year. So people had a chance to see it. They may not everyone have been able to see it, but at least people were able to see it. Whereas Juice and the Black Messiah, just no one was able to see it until at least the end of February, early March sort of thing. And that's why I think it really sort of snuck in. Now, unless it snuck in super late and everyone was like, oh my God, this blew my mind. This is this is the best movie out of all of them. I just think it's happy to be there, unfortunately, which is a shame because I think it's a fantastic film. But if you're comparing it to, to Nomadland uh, or Minari or, you know, what you know, your thoughts, your trials, Chicago 7 or Promising Young Woman, things like that. And then slowly you're trying to figure out in a preferential ballot, how is that going to hang out? Uh, and in the end, I think, yeah, it's just going to be happy to be there, unfortunately. It's really interesting you say that because um, so for this so I, I went through all of these lists myself and put what I think is the front runner dark horse for like all of these categories. And uh, I actually put Judas and the black Messiah as one of my two dark horse picks here. I think that even though it came out so late, it has so much buzz around it that I don't think coming out as late as it did hurt it nearly as much as something like the father did. Uh, I think this this could take it because I think that um, personally, I think it's one of the most like uh, kind of one of the friendliest movies on here in a way. It's a very, it's, it's the most like a traditional blockbuster in this best picture list, except for maybe possibly promising young woman or maybe Mank. No, except for maybe Mank or Trial to Chicago 7, Judas and the Black Messiah is the most, like, a traditional blockbuster movie on this list. Which does not necessarily mean that it's gonna win, but, like, blockbuster movies that people go out and see that have a lot of buzz around them tend to do decently well, and I would not be completely surprised if it won. Except for the fact that I am fairly certain Nomadland will take it, so I would be a little surprised. But I think it, I think it has a decent shot. Interesting. What about you? Peter? I actually have it as my front runner. I think um, I hate to, <laughs> I hate to bring politics into it constantly, but like I think it's unfortunately the Academy really does bring these things into it. Um, and, and it's personally, I don't really like the movie, but uh, it's just very culturally relevant right now, especially like after twenty twenty. Um, I think it probably has the most, like, it's, it feels like the most Oscar friendly one too, just because like, it's, it's not too bold in what it's trying to say. Um, it, it has some solid directing and solid performances, I guess. Um, it's based on a true story. I think that helps it a lot. So like, uh, like, yeah, just, just do those factors. I think it's like, it's probably, it's really up there. The only, the only one that I think is going to cause it trouble is Nomadland, which I wouldn't have said earlier, but just like with all the hype that's been going on around it, I think it's almost like a perfect storm for to win. And also the father, I think the father um, could potentially, uh, I guess, pull it off as well, just because it's a very, um, I guess it's, it's a pretty bold movie. And um, I think it, it just feels, it just feels very Oscar just because, you know, Anthony Hopkins and the way it was directed and the general tone of it, 
Um, but I, I still think, I, I really feel like Judas and the Black Messiah is going to pull it off. Uh, just due to the, the the political and cultural relevance of it at the moment. Yeah, I think I think that definitely has something that could play into its factor. So I'm I'm sort of curious to see because this movie came out so late, this could have a, a like a real underdog upset story behind that. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's move on to the best supporting actor category, and we actually have uh, two nominations: one for Daniel Kaluuya and one for Lakeith Stanfield. We'll kind of, I guess, group them in together at the same time. The other nominees are Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of Chicago Seven, and Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, and Paul Racy for Sound of Metal. Uh, Pierre, we'll start with you as for what are your thoughts on uh, these two performances? I really liked uh, Daniel Kaluuya, like. It was amazing, an amazing performance. I think, like, I didn't really like the movie that much again, but, like, I thought he was such a breath of fresh air. Um, and he, he brought so much to that role and really made the movie what it is. Uh, and, like, I, I personally have not liked him. Like, I've, I've only seen him in Get Out and uh, Black Panther. So, like, I think my, my view on him was, like, really subverted as well. So I think that has an effect on how I see this performance. Because um, it, was, it was just really good. I think, like, he's Stanfield... Unfortunately, I'm I'm kind of surprised he was nominated. To be honest, I think his performance was just just solid. I I think uh, surprisingly, because I love Lakeith Stanfield usually, but he he had to play it pretty safe. Um, I think that's just due to the writing of his character and the way um, because he you know he's a character in disguise, right? He had to play he had to hide a lot of emotions, I guess. But there wasn't meant much layering to how he was doing it. Um, and yeah, I, I actually think Daniel Kaluuya is like by far the front runner. I, I loved Sasha Baron Cohen and Paul Racy. I, I did love a lot too, but like, it's just, this is Daniel Kaluuya's hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, 100% it's, it's Daniel Kaluuya's to lose. I think the only thing that may stop it is if there is a contingent of Lakeith Stanfield voters and they end up splitting their vote. In that case, I have no idea who's going to win. Um, but yeah, Daniel Kaluuya, I, I put as the front runner and then, um, Lakeith Stanfield basically way at the bottom, just happy to be there because what I, I sort of figure will happen is voters will look at this and they'll be like, okay, we have a choice here. I love both performances, but Daniel Kaluuya is clearly, you know, the, the, the stronger superior one. Everyone votes there. Like it, it would not surprise me in the least. I know we don't actually get to see the results, of how everything shakes out. But like if Lakeith like legit gets like the least amount of vote by a long shot sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think this could, and this category could end up going to not Daniel Kaluuya. If Lakeith Stanfield ends up splitting the vote somehow. But I think that uh, Lakeith Stanfield is kind of there on a fluke. Uh, I agree with Pierre. He had to, sort of give a very safe performance. So as much as I do also like with Keith Stanfield, this isn't even really one of Lakeith Stanfield's better performances and um, forced to pick between those two. I do think people are going to go Daniel Kaluuya. So it, it really is Daniel Kaluuya's to lose. I definitely have him as the front runner here as well. Uh, and the next nomination is Best Original Screenplay. And the other nominees are Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. This is a bit of, this is a bit of an interesting category because I think there could be some stuff of, of people being feeling really strongly about some movies and not as strong towards some other ones. You know, Aaron Sorkin is, is definitely beloved by the Academy and 
I love the dialogue in the trial of Chicago seven, but I know there's a lot of issues with it structurally that people have problems with promising young woman sort of similarly, very interesting movie, but also people have a lot of problems with it structurally, especially the ending for that. And maybe it's, you know, uh, if you're talking about the old white man voting block, they might not really be a fan of a movie like this. Minari is a very slow, subtle movie where it's more about reactions and emotions than the actual dialogue itself. Sound of Metal 2 doesn't really, you know, do a lot with its words. It's more about how we hear things. Juice and the Black Messiah, I really did like the script because I think it had some really interesting things going for it. Um, that said, I really don't know how to kind of break this all down. I, I, I don't know what to do with it. I think Promising Young Woman might end up winning this just because it is more of an out there category uh, where they'll sometimes reward films that take on more chances. But where does that put Jews and the Black Messiah? I don't, I don't really know. Uh, so I'd probably hover it between Longshot and Dark Horse. What about you, uh, Jeff? Well, I think Trial of the Chicago 7 is kind of the most obvious thing that's nominated here. I don't necessarily think that means it's the winner, but it's the one where you look at that move, you you look at this category and you say, "Oh, that makes a hunt, that makes sense that it's here." Uh Judas and the Black Messiah, I would say is the most I mean, similar to what I said with Best Picture, it's kind of and I don't mean this in a bad way, the most ordinary of the movies on this list, and I think that kind of helps it because I feel like, well, I don't know actually if that helps it. I think that to to me, that means that like the other ones are the ones that are going to elicit, you know, strong opinions, right? Where Judas and the Black Messiah, I put it as just happy to be here because I personally love it a lot. And there are specific interesting things happening in that screenplay but I kind of think that it's the least uh, least out there, least interesting of these screenplays. And this uh, this category includes Minari, Promising Young Woman, and Sound of Metal. So clearly they're looking for some like very interesting screenplays here. Um, which, you know, like I said, Judas and the Black Messiah is just kind of the most ordinary, aside from The Trial of the Chicago 7. Mm-hmm. Jeff, uh, Pierre? Uh, yeah, I... I personally think it's a long shot. Um, I actually no, maybe maybe a dark horse. Actually, I think Minari's uh, screenplay wasn't that was pretty meh. Um, I personally didn't also like uh, Judas and the Black Messiah's screenplay. Oh wait, no, I forgot. Child. Okay, never mind. I put it, I put it as long shot. I forgot about the Child of Chicago Seven. Uh, the yeah, the problem with the Trial of Chicago Seven is that the movie is the screenplay. Like the the performances were solid, but like so much of that movie relies on the screenplay being good. And I don't think it was a great movie, but it was a solid screenplay. I um, mean, again, like you said, Aaron Sorkin's there, um, and Sound of Metal. I actually really like Sound of Metal screenplay. I thought it took it did a lot with a little, and the like the callbacks and the the character arcs and that were actually. Uh, really really smart and su- like surprisingly well thought out and there's a lot of uh um i guess they, they subvert expectations a lot but in a really good way um and i love the ending of it so like it it actually for me the very much of that movie was was uh getting a solid screenplay out um i, I want to say promising young woman stood a good chance but like it is like you said i think like with the with the subject matter and also the ending was a little iffy um 
even though I personally, I think it's by far the most interesting screenplay. Uh, it should be, it should be up there, but it's not. But yeah, Judas and the Black Messiah. It's just like the screenplay doesn't stick out. Um, I thought it was pretty lame in terms of like there, there wasn't many. The like, character arcs were pretty weak in my opinion, and the uh, it, it was like a little too long and sl- and like maybe I don't know. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't have much focus for me. Um, so it, it for me, it's like the weakest screenplay here. But just because of uh, its general. Um, I guess praise. I, I I say it could stand a chance just just due to that. So I I say long shot. Interesting. Okay. Uh, the next category we're going to talk about is best cinematography, which I've already gone over the nominations uh, before when we talked about Mank, and I feel like we could be pretty brief for this one as well. I think we were all pretty uh, resounding of Nomadland is definitely going to win this uh, as far as where I stand for the actual shot for this. It's probably a long shot. Uh, it, it's really tough to rank everything after Nomadland <laughs> uh, if you if you were to try to do so. Uh, but yeah, where where uh, where do the two of you stand up here? We'll go with you. Uh, I agree. <laughs> it had solid it had solid <laughs> cinematography, uh, and I actually I did like the shot compositions and the colors and stuff. But it's just yeah, Nomadland's there. I, I can't. I, I'd say I guess Dark Horse. I'd say it probably actually has like the second best of all of these movies, but it's mm-hmm. just like, it's still such a long shot. Um, but yeah, if, yeah. if no man land for some reason doesn't win, then yeah, I'd say dark horse, uh, Judas and the black Messiah. Interesting. And Jeff, I have it written down as a uh, long shot and yeah, again, no man land is going to win it, but I think that, uh, this movie is just really fun to look at. There's a lot of like very cool shots on this that I would absolutely use as screensavers. A lot of good opportunities for when I need to grab footage from a movie. It's just it's just a really cool movie to look at, and I like it a lot. So it's it's up there as it's probably my personal favorite in this. But like, I I think it's a long shot to win. Yeah, no, no I get that. All right, so we've got one more category left, and that is Best Original Song. Uh, for Juice and the Black Messiah, the song is Fight For You, which was by her. All the smoke in the air, till the hate when they stare. Uh, the other nominated movies are The Trial of the Chicago 7, Eurovision Song Contest, The Life Ahead, and One Night in Miami. And based off of a recent episode of yours in an absolutely epic rant that you went on, <laughs> Jeff, I really need you to crush this category right now for me and tell me your thoughts. Oh, I hate this category a lot. This category sucks. Uh, it's the The nominees are actually fine. There's... There's one song on this list that I don't like, and my personal pick for the only song that even matters on this list is like my second least favorite, but I just hate the original song category so much. Uh, So the best original song category always goes to, well, not always goes to, because the the song doesn't always get it, but like the nominations are always credit songs, and like... I don't understand what the point of the category is because this isn't the Grammys. Like 
if this if it was just going to the best song and I had you can't see this, but there was heavy air quotes around that, then um <laughs> then like, I don't know, let's put Taylor Swift in there because like she did a whole documentary. And honestly, Taylor Swift songs would fit better in this because they actually made sense in the documentary and they were written for the album that the documentary is about. So yeah, why isn't this entire category just Taylor Swift songs? I think as far as I'm concerned, like this category is a complete wash. I think that everything in here, uh, if it's a credit song, then what you're doing is you're just awarding what you think, you know, what song you liked the most. And that's fine. But it should be like a song that this category should always go, this award should always go to a song, in my opinion, that actually means something for the movie. And if we take, for example, um, let's say Hear My Voice. I didn't even hear this movie in the movie, this song in the movie. I think it was in the credits. I turned this movie off as soon as the credits rolled because like the, the movie had happened. And so I wasn't interested in the rest. Um and like speak now, speak now from one night in Miami is really good and probably means the most out of all of these credit songs because it's like sort of dealing with the subject material of the movie, but it still like doesn't happen until the movie's over. The movie literally ends with Leslie Odom Jr.'s uh, character, Sam Cooke, talking about this song that he's just written and then singing that song and like... I, I don't know, I guess contextually for best original song, it would have been better, even though it would have made the movie worse, if he, you know, said, oh, I just wrote this song, and then it cuts to credits, and then we have Speak Now, and then it would kind of still feel like part of the movie. But um, anyway, as far as I'm concerned, Husavik is the only song on this list that matters, and it's not even that good. Um, my personal favorite is Fight For You. I like it a lot. I think it's a dark horse to win. It's a huge bop. Go listen to it. It doesn't happen till the credits, though, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> now, Pierre, when you listen him to basically recreating a rant from a recent episode of yours, uh, do you think that he is absolutely crazy? And this is your chance to kind of like air some grievances, <laughs> or or do you agree with him? Uh, Please give me give me your honest. Truth. No, I I actually do agree. I think it's it's kind of funny that um, I mean I've honestly never given this category much thought until Jeff talked about it so vehemently. <laughs> um, but he like he's right in terms of like I, a lot of these scores are just nominated for uh, for being in the credits. I, I it'd be it doesn't really make sense to me unless like the it flows naturally like through to the ending. I can't really think of any movies that do that properly. Um, but yeah, it, it's it feels kind of silly to be nominating original songs that are only playing in the credits. I I do think it should add something to the movie. Um, this is so weird, but like an example of doing that really well was. Uh, uh, into the Spider-Verse actually used all of its songs and its soundtrack mm. extremely well and like better than any movie I've personally mm-hmm. seen before. Um, so yeah, it, it was really good. I can't really say much for the rest of these movies, these, uh, these songs because I don't, uh, I haven't seen them. Um, and I don't know much about the songs. I have listened to fight for you though. I think it's a pretty lame song. Honestly, I think it's mixed pretty well. And I think the arrangement's nice, but the, like it's not really saying much. It feels kind of like a lo-fi jam, um, but it might win just because of the, it, it's obviously a very, um, I guess, politically sentimented soundtrack or song for, for it to kind of sum up the movie, I guess, which actually maybe might, might've been what they were doing by putting in the credits, but um, I think it could win, but I do agree with Jeff. This is kind of a weird category. 
if I can just interject one more thing, sorry. Yeah, this is actually a category where musicals, and unfortunately there weren't a lot of them this year, really excel. Because even when you have a musical like Les Mis, which was, it was a movie adaptation of something that's been on Broadway for 20, 30, 40 years, uh, they, they, they go through the extra effort to not only create an original song for the movie, but actually work it into the plot somehow. And sometimes it's just sort of a throwaway scene. Like you look at Aladdin from two years ago and um, the, the extra song that they built in for Jasmine is just kind of a, it's a scene that like makes enough sense, but it's just, it's clearly designed specifically so that they can get this best original song nomination. But like, it also got the best original song nomination over the DJ Khaled thing at the end because it actually tried. Right. So I think this is, this is a song where I really, this is a category where effort, like I personally really appreciate effort. And I think that effort like really stands out more obviously than in a lot of other categories here. It's, it's funny. Uh, I, I, I never really thought all much about this category either. Uh, much like Pierre, it's it's a really tough one to really predict. Sometimes there's you know uh, a front runner clear in a way that like you know the movie comes out in July and you can basically pinpoint yeah this is the one that's going to win and of course it usually ends up going on. Or there's like movies like Frozen or Moana where they'll get like literally two or three of the five nominations and like oh we we know exactly what Frozen song is going to win. It, just doesn't matter that they have two other nominated songs. It's nice for them, I guess, whatever, but we know which song is going to win. But when you went on your very epic rant, I, I, I mean, no disrespect at all. It really unlocked something for me where I'm like, yeah, what the hell? Why is this category just end credit songs? This is fucking bullshit. Um, I'm, I'm totally on the exact same page as you. Like, uh, it's, it, it's so hard to really care about a lot of the end credit songs because it's like, it's basically like, Hey, this is a song that's tonally similar to the movie speaking, basically recapping what has happened. But instead we got a popular singer to do it. And that's basically what it is. And like, as soon as you said that, it was just like, it kind of made me look at this category completely differently. And you're right. Husevic is the only legit nominated song in this category. And I wish that there was uh, stipulations that the song has to have been playing during the movie, not just an end credit song designed to basically sell soundtracks. Yeah, exactly. I I don't have anything else to say on this category personally. (laughs) I think I've said my piece. Yeah. As far as what I think is going to win, yeah, this this song I can definitely see winning. I don't I don't know really. I don't think Husevic is going to win. I think it's probably one of the lamer songs of your vision, a movie that does have some really good songs. Uh, it seems like every few years they'll nominate a joke song. Wuhan Flu almost got nominated this year, and and that would kind <laughs> of categorize under the humorous joke song sort of thing. Uh, if they would have done any number of other ones from Eurovision that were better, in my opinion. that would have been great but uh yeah i like i can see jews and the black messiah winning this i could see trial chicago 7 winning this i can see one night in miami winning this i haven't heard the song from the life ahead so i can't really talk about it but yeah like roll the dice and let's see who wins this sort of thing for me yeah i would say i personally think that eoc is the that's the life ahead song i think that's the one with as much momentum as something can have coming into this category. I think it's got the most because it won the golden globe. And like, I guess that's it. Diane Warren's Um, been nominated a million times and never won. Yes. I think this is her 18th or her 16th, maybe something Uh, crazy like that. Yeah. 
Husevik is the Oscars friendliest song from Eurovision because like you said, the rest are all joke songs. And while they are, as far as I'm concerned, way better, uh, Husevik is like, I, I mean, the Oscars likes ballads. I don't know if they like ballads for winners necessarily, but like ballads get nominated a lot and Husevik is a ballad. Um, but yeah, I, I can see a path for path to victory for any of these. I think EOC is probably the winner. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of it. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so there we have all the categories. Now we're just going to kind of very, very quickly recap as far as who we think is going to win as far as like how many personally for Mank, I think it's going to win one. And then there's maybe two to three other ones where it has a bit of a path, but not really a realistic one. But I really think Mank is going to only win one Oscar. Uh, Jeff, where do you think that stands for Mank? Yeah, I think that Mank comes in with a lot of nominations and leaves with no awards. Like, I I actually do think that it has a really good shot at production design. And it's it's a contender in in a few other categories. But I think it gets one, maybe two or three at most. Okay, and Pierre? Uh, I'd say probably only one. One or zero. I, I think it should win one. I don't know. I can't tell you which one I think it should win like 100 percent, but like i i know it's i feel like there's something it's gonna get a little nod but i i don't think mm-hmm. it's gonna get too much attention though no. okay and then as far as jewish and the black messiah goes i have it winning two awards i i think supporting actor for kaluuya and then maybe for original song uh and I don't think there's any really thing else it has going for it for me. I, so I think it's like one or two and that is it. I don't think it really has any maybes for me. Uh, Pierre, what about you? I'd agree too. Um, best picture is a maybe a third. I think, like I said, it's it's a front runner for me, but like it's, it is a pretty intense category, honestly. So anything goes, but I'd say three Academy Awards is like a pretty solid run for this movie. And what about you, Jeff? I think it definitely gets, well, I think it's probably, I, I want to say definitely, but I really don't know. I think it's probably going to get supporting actors. So I think this comes out with one award. Of those awards, like, uh, it could, I mean, it could be supporting actor, or it could be supporting actor, best picture, or song. And I think it gets one, maybe two of those, but I, I think it gets one between the three. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Uh, And I think that wraps up our conversation. Jeff and Pierre, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had such a fun time talking with the two of you. I'm glad uh, this is your first time coming on. It was great. Uh, Hopefully we can collaborate some more in the future. Uh, What's coming up for your show now that the Oscar nominations are out? So um, we have just started talking about uh, the like doing dedicated episodes for each of the best picture nominees before the nominations came out, we had already done trial of the Chicago seven nomadland Minari and sort of a stealth episode for Mank. So we actually only have four other ones to do. I believe Um, this recording session comes at a little bit of a weird time because by the time it's out, the first of those episodes will be out and that's the father. But, uh, it doesn't actually come out until tomorrow as of this recording. So by the time this is out, the episode that will be coming out tomorrow for us when uh, is um, Judas and the Black Messiah. So that's the very next episode. If you, if you listened to us here and 
you liked us a lot. Our father, our the father episode is out, and Judas and the Black Messiah is coming out tomorrow. And then we still have to go promising young woman and sound of metal. So I guess then my, my next question is where can people find your work and, and follow you? Uh, well, we're on Spotify, uh, classic movies live. And that is kind of uh, the extent of the social media we have for our show. Um, we have an entire like, so this is season, our, our, uh, our Spotify stuff is technically season two. We did an entire run for probably a year and a half on SoundCloud for UBC Okanagan, uh, their, the Student Radio's SoundCloud account. Uh, so you can find us on SoundCloud uh, at Heatwave Radio. We should have all of our old episodes there, but that's that's where you can find us. So that's, that's about all we got right now. We're still sort of building a <laughs> social media presence. Well, awesome. I will I'll make sure to link both the Spotify and the SoundCloud shows in the show notes. So make sure people check out Classic Movies live. And stay tuned for next week when we get into our final of three Best Picture specials with a new excellent guest. Follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ContraZoomPod. And let me know what your favorite of the Best Picture nominees are. Send an email to ContraZoomPod at gmail.com and visit ContraZoomPod.com for all your CCP needs. Thank you to Eric and Kevin Smale for the theme music and to Stephanie Pryor for the logo design. If you can rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts, it will be a huge help for us to grow and find new listeners. Thanks for listening. Thank you.